But I just want to just sink my teeth into the topic of prayer. And uh, if I hit bullseye with the help of the Holy Spirit tonight, if I hit bullseye, we're all going to walk out of here uh, more passionate, uh, more consistent uh, about prayer with a higher conviction level about prayer. We're just going to pursue that and be aggressive with that. Lee and Nell, you just made me smile on the inside the minute I saw you. Um, but I just, uh, I'm going to preach that with passion. Uh, and so, uh, and, and let me just share with you uh, the undercurrent of this message. I just feel like uh, it is so easy to get frustrated with people. Because they're not doing what only God can do. I'll just say that again just for the sake of it. I know you guys got it the first time, but I'll just say it again. Sometimes it is very easy to get, let me say it like in Italian, extremely frustrated with people because they're not doing what only God can do. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just, just, just shout amen, oh my, or oh me at any point. If you're a guest, you don't have to say anything. But if you come back a second time, you do. Just say, whoa. Let's just practice for a second, okay? When I say three, just kind of just make some kind of noise just so I know you're awake, okay? You can clap, you can whistle, you can go, ooh, whatever. You can say amen, you can say preach, white boy. You can say whatever. You can say whatever comes to your mind. One, two, three. Mm, you sound so good. You didn't like that? You know? So I, I just want to just bury uh, that passion for prayer in your heart. Let's dive into a, a situation uh, right out of the Word of God that um, I feel, I started reading this last week, I almost preached it last Sunday, but it wasn't quite baked all the way, but I, I, think, I think we've got this baby baked all the way in my heart. Uh, this is about Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. Uh, this guy, uh, in verse number 5 in that chapter, uh, says that there was no other king like him, uh, before him or after him. Uh, this young man uh, was successful in everything he did, according to verse 7 of that chapter. So he was a young man. There was nobody like him before him. There was nobody like him after him. He was a holy man. He followed uh, King's, King David. He followed his ancestors' uh, principles in pursuing God. He lived in the fear of God. He was successful in everything he did. In fact, one Assyrian king, his enemy, came up to him and said, Look, Hezekiah, we want you to start paying a tribute to us. Start paying us. Start sending us silver and gold. Hezekiah had a fear of God and not anybody else. And he said no. And so the Assyrian king sent messengers to Hezekiah. Now it's very important that you listen, uh, not only listen to what we're about to read, but put yourself in their situation. Uh, and so what takes place, uh, if you go back to verse 19, 
what happens is, is the servant of the Assyrian king stands up and says, Why are you so confident, Hezekiah? He stands up in front of the city, in front of the town, and says, Why are you so confident? He couldn't understand why they were so confident just because they had a relationship with God. Because everything was going against them. Now, uh, let's dive right into it. This is what the Assyrian king's servant says to uh, Hezekiah's leadership team, if you will. In verse number 23, it reads like this. This is uh, the Assyrian king's servant. I'll tell you what. This is the New Living Translation. Strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many to ride on them. Do you hear what he's saying? You, you people are so weak. Your army is so small. If we were to give you 2,000 horses, you don't even have that many people to ride them. I mean, that's kind of an insult, just slightly. Verse 24, with your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops? Even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers. What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, Attack this land and destroy it. Now let me just take a sidebar that has nothing to do with my sermon. Surprise, surprise. But I I can't move on without saying this. There will be some people in your life that claim to hear from God. Now we're awake, aren't we? They, They claim to, God told me. I call that the God cards. Uh, there's somebody in this room right now, you know who you are, and I love you. I had a meeting, I think it was last Wednesday or Thursday. He looked at me and goes, you know what, this is just what I want to do. I desire to do it. I'm not dropping the God card, I just want to do it. And I almost kissed him right then and there. I'm like, you know what, I love you, man. And you know who you are, so I'm just going to say, I love you, man. You know, just thank you. Just thank you for just being... Man enough to say, this is just what I want you. You don't have to say, God told me. You don't have to start speaking in the King James Version. Right? You know, the Bible says this, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. In other words, he pretends to be an angel. If Satan himself pretends to be an angel, don't you think that people who are not following God that they kind of get the hang of it as well. That's when you got to say, you don't pass the smell test, sweetie. It, it, this is, the, the smell test is a lot like the hearing test. It's like you know the words, but it just doesn't sound right. It's, it's kind of like if I sing Amazing Grace, and the cadence of Amazing Grace is, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. What? But if I go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You just go, whoa, 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 whoa. The words are right, but something is wrong. Are you with me? 
So when somebody comes up and says, the Lord told me, oh, the, the words sound right, but something doesn't fit. Are you with me? That was for free, by the way. Just write that down. So he says, the Lord told us. So he, he's saying this. The messenger of Assyria is saying this to Hezekiah's administrative team. But he's saying it in the middle of town square. And so Hezekiah's administrative team tells the Assyrian guy, Hey, will you please stop speaking in Hebrew? Speak Assyrian to me. Because you got my, the whole town is gathering around. They're, they're up on the walls of the city listening to what you're saying. Can we just keep this between you and I? Have you ever had that kind of a conversation? It's like, hey man, hey, hey. Why, why are you getting so loud? Have you ever wondered why somebody's getting loud with you? It's like, why are you getting so loud? I shouldn't admit this. This was not a good moment for me. I went to Tour 18 to go play golf. And this guy said, hey, take this golf cart, golf cart number 18. You can have it to play your round of golf. I said, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And so I put my, my, no, he says, take cart number 18 to go get your clubs out of your car. That way you don't have to carry them back. I said, oh, thank you so much. So I took cart number 18, put my cart, my, my clubs in it, drove it over to the chipping green, and then I'm getting ready to drive it over to hole number one to play golf. And he goes, hey! True story. Who took cart number 18? There's a whole bunch of people out there chipping and putting and driving. And they all start looking around for the guy who took cart number 18. <laughs> My head got real. I started getting sweaty and embarrassed. And, and for a minute there, I was like, don't raise your hand. Just stand there like everybody else. Just, just like. Oh. So I was like, I took cart number 18. It's like, why'd you take cart number 18? So everyone's looking at me. I'm very, very embarrassed. So I don't do embarrassment well. So as I start walking, he goes, I told you you could go get your clubs. I didn't say you could go play golf with it. And so I said, sir, why are you being so loud? He goes, well, that's just the way I talk. I said, well, I'm standing right here. You don't have to be loud. I'm just, I'm right here. And so he goes, well, take cart number 19. I said, no problem. (laughs) Drove off. I know what this guy, Hezekiah, is saying. If you Assyrians are going to come destroy us, you don't have to be so loud about it. Don't even talk in Hebrew. You're making everybody scared. The guy from Assyria says back to him, he goes, look, this message isn't just for you. It's for all of you. I'm not going to start speaking in Assyrian. I'm going to keep on speaking in Hebrew because I want everybody here to know what the message is. And then this is what he says real loud. Verse number 23. I'll tell you what. No, I'm sorry. Verse number 27. But that guy, Senator Kerr, chief of staff, 
Do you see why I'm paraphrasing? Because they got these like 19 letter names in here. The chief of staff replied, do you think my master sent this message only to you and your master? He wants all the people to hear it. For when we put this city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Yuck. Another sidebar. For those of you that think the Bible is boring, just read it a little bit more. So he just says, no, I'm not going to speak in Hebrew. I'm killing all of y'all. Everyone, I'm killing your mammy, your pappy, you. I'm killing all of you. And so they're petrified. They're scared. They march off to go get their spears and their, their swords. The administrative staff goes back up to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, we got a big problem here. That huge army is coming here and they're mad. They said that we're going to eat. Well, you just fill in the blank, sir. Hezekiah, he doesn't know what to do. He's a young man. So he just does the only thing he knows how to do. If prayer is the only thing you know how to do, it's all you'll ever need to know how to do. But if you don't know how to pray, it doesn't matter what you do know how to do. Let me just stay right there just for a second. So often we meet people around us that seem to have it all. They're the Belvedere's. They have it all. But if you step into their house, you realize, oh man, it was all smoke and mirrors. Do you ever look at your life from the outside in and say, man, it does look like we've got it all. But little do they know, we don't have it together at all. It's very, very, it's, it's impossible. If praying is not what you know how to do, it is impossible to have what you believe God has for you. It's impossible. So Hezekiah starts praying. Now I'm going to dive into the importance of prayer. But let me just tie that loose end together. God changes the tide. In Psalms 56, I think it's 56-7, I think it is. It says, every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. It's in the Living Bible. Every time you pray, the tide of the battle turns. In some of your versions, it says, every time you pray, the soldiers turn and run. I like all of the versions of the Bible. Because you can just read it from every direction. Everything rises and falls on prayer. I'm going to give you guys seven different bullet points. I'm going to give you three points at the end of the sermon. But I'm just going to hit these seven points. Because I've studied what what Charles Spurgeon, some of these church fathers say about prayer. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, Smith Wigglesworth, um, uh, 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 David uh, Carter up in New York. Uh, Some of these people are just, they're prayer warriors. I'm just going to run down seven things that I've kind of tucked away in my heart that I've learned from these patriarchs of the faith. Number one, 
There are some blessings you will not receive unless you ask God through prayer. There are some blessings you can get without praying, like breathing. You don't have to, dear God, let me take the next breath. (gasps) The Bible says that he reigns on the just and the unjust. There are some blessings that if you pray or if you don't pray, you're going to get them because God is that good of a God. But there are certain things that you will never get unless you pray. If you need a scripture for that, it's in James 4 too. Jesus says this, you have not because you ask not. You will not get certain things unless you pray. Don't make the mistake that good things have come to you in your life without praying for you. And anything that is good that's supposed to come will come the same way. Don't make that mistake. Jesus meant what he said. You have not because you ask not. We've got to ask. The other thing I want to share is this. Groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers that cannot be refused. There are certain prayers that this is good enough. Dear Lord Jesus, bless this food. Bless the hands that served it. In Jesus' name, amen. That level of passion is good enough when you're praying for your food. But there are certain things that you, were, you will face where that level of prayer is not good enough. Now, some of you come from a different background, a very conservative background of prayer. And I I don't want to mess up your theology. But when I read the scriptures and I notice how people groan and pray, in Corinthians it talks about how the Spirit groans for us. There's a certain level of prayer that it, it you take everything you have and you put in it. You see, there's something called private prayers and congregational prayers. Both of them are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Private prayer, congregational prayer is when I'm praying and you're in the room. When I'm praying and you're in the room, I don't want to be a distraction to you because we're all trying to be in one mind in one accord. And if we're ever all in one mind in one accord, ooh, there's something mighty can happen. But if I'm on my own court and everyone else is on another court, is your piano on? I don't know how to play the piano, but I do know that's a chord. A chord is not difficult, it's just three notes put together, right? I'm playing the piano while I'm preaching, by the way. (laughs) Now, if I decide to do this, if I decide to do this, it almost hurts your ears, doesn't it? Now, for rookies that don't know how to play the piano, Isaiah told me this, when you don't know what to do with this hand, make this hand look like that hand. Right? So if I play a C here and I play a C here, right? Is that cool? 
So if my right hand is playing a C, and I don't know what to do with my left hand, I can just take my left hand and play a C, right? It sounds happy. So my right hand plays a C, my left hand comes along. What, what should I do? I want to do something. What do I do with my hands? I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my hands. Well, hey, you, why don't you just do what I'm doing? Okay, I'll do what you're doing. Okay. Well, I don't want to do what you're doing. I feel led by God to do something else. I feel Him. I feel God. Okay, this is what I want to do. Excuse me, sir. You're being a distraction in the sanctuary. I hear God. You don't believe me? Listen to that. Thus saith the Lord. Are you with me? There's... Congregational prayers. We're supposed to. We're, we're all trying to be in one mind, one accord. And then there's private prayers. You know what private prayers are? Private prayers are when I'm by myself and I am going to pray and I don't even care. All dignity is thrown out the window. There was a guy named Cornelius who was a a a. Uh, he wasn't a Jew. He was a. Help me. Gentile. Some of you knew it was a Gentile, but you weren't so sure that you're willing to shout it. He was a Gentile. The, the, Jesus didn't come for the Jews. Uh, he, he came for the Jews, not the Gentiles. But he wanted to be a part of God's family. And so he keeps on crying out and crying out and crying out and crying out and worshiping God and moaning and groaning and worshiping. And God says this, what is this pillar that has come before me, this pillar of prayer? There's certain groanings that can only be heard. Let me give you just, I'm going to go rapid fire here for the sake of time. Spurgeon said this, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of intensity of your prayer. Charles Spurgeon, this is what he's saying. If I want to take a a thermometer to determine how strong your spiritual life is, all I have to do is find out how much you pray. That's powerful, friends. Here's another one. It is a good rule never to look into the face of a man in the morning till you have looked into the face of God. It's amazing how short men are when you've seen how tall and how great God is. It is well said that neglected prayer is the birthplace of all evil. You know how detestful evil is when you've spent time in the presence of God? But at the same time, do you know how appetizing sin is when you haven't spent time in the presence of God? True prayer is measured by weight, not by length. If you can't pray an hour, then you make that one moment like an atom bomb. Do you know how many times I've said to myself, God is above time. He doesn't operate in time. So for all he knows, I just prayed for five hours. (laughs) I know that sounds really dumb, and it is. 
But God doesn't care how long I've prayed. He cares about how my heart is while I'm praying. Let me give you another one real fast. It is said, I'm sorry, this, is not, this one isn't on the screen. But Wigglesworth said this, I never go an hour without praying. I've, no, I have never prayed an hour, but I don't go an hour without praying. Three things, three keys to confidence while praying. Number one is we recognize our position. Our position. You know, whenever we pray, a lot of times we feel like our position is so messed up. Especially if you have, you want to pray, but you've been inconsistent or you've been mistake ridden or you feel like you're, posi- you're, you're, you're far from God. All of those negative thoughts are not true. None of them are true. Anytime, if you are going to cultivate a relationship with God, if you are going to be a person that, now watch this, there's going to be a percentage of people that walk out of here and their prayer life really is better. It won't be all of you. All of you will just walk out and go, dude can't play the piano. (laughs) But there will be a small percentage of you that will walk out of here and go, my prayer life is, is now going to another level. In order for that to happen, you have to see yourself right. you got to see yourself exactly where you are. you got to have a proper view of yourself. And this is the view of yourself that we need to have. In Psalms 145, 14, it says this, The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those beneath their load. That is you. You, If you want to see yourself for who you really are, not too high, not too low, who you really are, who you really are is a person that God is constantly lifting up. Who you really are is a person who God sees your load and lifts the load. God is constantly doing this to you. He's constantly putting his arms underneath your arms and lifting you up. He is constantly doing that. And you say, how do you know it's constant? How do you know he's constantly doing that? Because you and I are constantly in need. We're in constant in the state of needing help. And it says here that the Lord helps the fallen. So unless you never fall, <laughs> but for those of us who do, God, I'm sorry. I say sorry like a hundred times a day. That means a hundred times a day, he's lifting me up. If you're going to have a good prayer life, you have to see yourself where you really are. Have you ever seen someone that thinks that they're smoking hot, good looking, and they're not? They're bent. They're messed up. But then on the other side, you th- you've got someone that's just totally beating themselves up. Oh, I look like a cow. No, you don't look like a cow. You're not smoking hot. You don't look like a cow. You got to have a proper view of yourself. And the proper view of yourself is that God is constantly in mode of lifting you up. You got to keep that in your mind. Anything else is straight from hell. Anything else is straight from hell. If you see yourself in any other way, 
It's not out of the Bible. So that's number one. Number two, you got to recognize God's position. So our position is we're constantly being lifted up. I want you to look at me like this. This is, this is you constantly. Constantly going up. He's constantly lifting you up. This is you constantly being lifted up. Now, now what is God's position? Because you got to know your position. You got to know God's position. God's position in the same chapter, Psalms 145, 18. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. So when you pray, every time you pray, know this. God is close to you. Every time you pray, he's close. Let's just say you've done and said the dumbest thing in the world. The moment you pray, he's close. You ever watch that show, I Dream of Jeannie? Dink. Jeannie was always popping up. Did you ever watch that show? That's the Lord. The minute you pray, the minute you say, Jesus, boom. He's constantly, he's constantly near those who call. He's constantly, that's his position. We know your position, that's his position. Let me give you another verse in the same chapter. This is the very next verse, verse 19. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and rescues them. The desires, those of you who fear God, you're in awe of God. Just like, this is Fear does not mean, nah. no. Fear means awe, A-W-E. It's like, wow. For those of you that are, wow. The desires of your heart. He gives them to you. Now, I used to think that whatever the desires were in my heart, God's going to give them to me. So I have a desire to play NBA basketball. I expect God to give it to me. That's not what that verse means. This is what that verse means. I need my phone. Can you give me my phone real quick? Let's just say hypothetically, I'm God. Okay? I'm God, and I have desires in my pocket. I'm God. And I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's certain desires that God has given you. And now he's going to give you the desire of your heart. Are you with me? He gave you that desire. I have a desire to encourage people and push them towards the Lord. Do you think I got that desire around? I was just walking down the street one day and all of a sudden, bloop, I had this desire to just start encouraging people towards the Lord. No, no, no. No, I was born. God took that desire from himself and put it inside of me. And now I'm walking around with this desire in me that God gave me. I will give you the desires of your heart. And now that he gave me the desire, now he's going to give me the desire of my heart to actually flesh it out. I don't have time to chase that one. Point number three. First, we recognize our position. Then we recognize God's position. And now this one's the big one. For some of you, this is very easy. We have to recognize scriptures. This book cannot be a book. Oh, man. 
This book cannot be a book that you only open when you come here. It just can't. It just can't. It can't. It can't. If you are a, uh, a Bible in the phone kind of person, that's totally fine. It, you just can't only read it when you come here. You just can't. And now, here's the thing. I enjoy running. Not a very fast runner, but I like to run. And about once every two weeks, I think about, I don't feel like running anymore. Like, there's nothing chasing me. Why do I keep doing this? I get these emails from these, like, running magazines that I've signed up for. I'll start reading one of the columns, and I'm like, you know what, man, I feel like running. Are you with me? The Bible is the same way. You start reading the Bible, and then all of a sudden, you, you, God, do you know what's in here? Do you know what's in here? It it says right, and then you make it bigger. It it says right here in Psalms 34, 7, that there's an angel. I'm reading it out loud here. There's an angel of the Lord that surrounds those who fear him. And delivers them. Okay, I need to be delivered. When you use scripture like that, now you've got the trifecta going. You see yourself properly. You see God where he is, which is right up next to you. And now you're using the word. you got the trifecta going. Now, if you try to sit on a three-legged stool and I come up to you with a chainsaw, and I just cut one of those legs off, oh, man, it's going to be funny to us, but it's not going to be funny to you. you got to keep all three of them. Is this helping you? Thank you. I've got one last quote. No, let me say this. This is so good, I can't skip it. I'm trying to skip stuff for the sake of time. But Hebrews chapter, one, verse one, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let me say that again. You're sure of what you hope for. Watch this. Man, I really hope that this door of opportunity is going to open for me. Oh, I hope. To be able to take that hope and I know that God is going to open up this door of opportunity for me. Do you see that leap? Oh, I hope. I know. Do you see that, that, that leap? Both of them are future tense. How does somebody get from here to here? Oh, I hope. Because the Bible says faith is being sure. I am positive. It's almost an oxymoron. I am positive of what I'm hoping for. I am sure of what I can't see. How in the world do you go from this level to this level? How do you you bridge that gap? So glad you asked. In the very next verse, it says this. In verse, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hear the word of the God. You just keep on reading this. Let me read a a, a quote for you. This is by Ray Ortland. He writes like this. I have learned, here, just read this to yourself as I read it out loud. 
if it's on the screen. I have learned to see the Bible as a kindling for a holy fire. Everybody say holy fire. fire. Scripture is meant to inform us and thus to inflame us. It is meant to illuminate our thoughts of God and thus to ignite our affections for God. Sometimes you read this because you're cold. Does that make sense? Sometimes you read this because you think the Bible is boring. And so I'm going to read it so it will come back to life. The Bible is supposed to be living and active. Well, it's not very living and active. In fact, it's the most boring book I've ever looked at. And when I open it up, I see black ants and I see red ants. But if I read it, it comes alive. Here's something about reading and praying. If this is the last thing you write down, it'll be worth it. The more you pray, the more you want to pray. The less you pray, the less you'll want to pray. The more you read the Bible, the more you'll want to read the Bible. The less you read the Bible, the less you'll want to read the Bible. You crave your diet. If those of you, uh, like, like Scott Johnson, there's several of you, but Scott comes to Saturday night prayer with me every single Saturday night. It's open to anybody, but every Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Right there in the youth room. When Scott doesn't show up, he comes up to me and goes, man, I missed it last Saturday. Why does he miss it that much? Because you crave your diet. Sometimes you have to make a new diet. You know those people that uh, love to eat healthy? And they had to shift from not eating healthy to start eating healthy. It's like, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. And they shift it. And then all of a sudden when they finally make that shift, then they look at the the lava cake and they're like, no, thank you. I eat that and I'm going to wear it for the next three weeks. I don't even want it. Sometimes you got to make yourself shift to a new diet. And then once you get hungry, it's like, man, I'm starving. Man, I'd do anything for a salad right now. I'd do anything for some grilled chicken right now. What happened? You changed your diet and you always crave your diet. And for people who pray a lot, when something bad happens, like, man, I need to go pray. Man, I need to go find me one scripture and just quote that one over and over again. I just need to go get one. What am I trying to say here? This is how we build confidence in our prayer life. How much time do I got? I'm okay. Last story, thank you. There's two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. This is so key. This could be the sermon all by itself. Are you ready for this? Jesus died on the cross. Jesus went in the tomb. Jesus rose again. No, he didn't rise again yet. He's in the tomb. He comes out of the tomb. He's walking around. There's two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus runs up to them and starts walking with the two disciples. Jesus is in disguise. They can't see him. The Bible says that the two disciples 
were downtrodden. Some of your versions say they were depressed. So the two disciples are depressed. Jesus starts walking up and says, what are you guys depressed about? And they said, what have you been living under a rock? Jesus was just crucified. Jesus starts talking to the disciples about the, what happened in the Old Testament. He says, well, guys, wasn't it prophesied? I like how Jesus like acts dumb. You know, I, I, I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on this, guys. But didn't the Old Testament prophets prophesy that the Son of God would rise again in three days? And he begins to quote scriptures. And then they go from downtrodden to hearts burning. All because Jesus started quoting scriptures. So I don't know, Frankie. I'm so glad you said I don't know, Frankie. You're you're just asking for it. Watch this. Verse 17. Don't turn there. Read it when you get home. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Jesus walks up and asks them, what are you guys discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. They were depressed. They were down. Verse 27, Jesus starts talking about, you remember in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They go from downtrodden to hearts burning because the scriptures were read to them. Downtrodden to hearts burning. Oh, I think that we may be underestimating the power of that Bible. Just pick a spot. I don't know if this is a good spot. I don't know if this, I'm going to get bored if I just, just pick a spot. I'll just start reading here. You just pick a spot. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Very, very, very good stuff. My dad used to always tell me, read 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel. 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel. 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. You'll never get bored. It's all full of killing and adultery (laughs) and asking God to forgive you. First and second Kings, first and second, second Samuel, first and second Chronicles. Just read that all day long. You'll never get bored. When you read those books, you start realizing maybe you're not so bad. 